The Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129 presents America This Week, a smart Catholic take on faith and culture with Father Matt Malone and Carrie Weber. You're listening to America This Week. I'm Father Sam Sawyer, joined by my colleagues Carrie Weber and Robert David Sullivan. And in a little bit, we'll be joined by John Miller as well, um, speaking about his article uh, for America on the ethics and the dangers of artificial intelligence. He is a... A wonderful journalist and frequent contributor to America at this stage. He also has been known to um, teach journalism on occasion. He's on multiple platforms. He used to work for the Wall Street Journal. He contributes to us, to NPR, Pittsburgh Quarterly. Uh, and we're really glad to have him here to speak with us today about his article, uh, which is the about the dangers of artificial intelligence in our brave new world, which includes self-driving cars, etc., that sort of thing. So, John Miller, welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. Always good to talk to you. Hi, Carrie. Hi. We're very glad to have you back. Uh, so, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what got you interested in this topic to write, to, to pitch this piece to us, because you had so, uh, sent it to us. Yeah. I, I live in Pittsburgh, which uh, hosts uh, Carnegie Mellon, which is uh, one of the epicenters of the self-driving car movement. Um, Uber has a big headquarters here in Pittsburgh. I always see Uber cars driving around with the uh, spinning radars on their on their roofs, which looks very utopian and sci-fi. Although I always check, I, I ride a bicycle, and I always see the drivers. The drivers usually have their hands on the steering wheel, which uh, reassures me, but also makes me think we're not that close to having uh, a society based on self-driving cars. Anyway, um, I ran into a guy at a party who was a, a. I asked him what he did. He said, "Well, I'm an AI ethicist." And I'd never heard of such a thing, and I thought, wow, that sounds like something that would be great to write about for America, and I, I talked to Tim about it, and he had had the same idea um, even before talking to me that we should, that America should do this story. And so I, I started with this, this episode in Pittsburgh and hung out with him a little bit and then broadened it out to talk to a lot more people um, and just you know learn about this whole world of people trying to decide or figure out what's the best way of making sure this technology doesn't hurt us. Because it's so, it is so powerful. And even if, as I sort of quickly state in the story, the, the robots are not taking over. We are in charge of our, our technology. Uh, that being said, it's so powerful that there are so many ways in which human beings um, can get you know, damaged uh, and sort of overlooked um, in what is the brave new world. And that seems like a very important issue for anybody who cares about the human person and um, you know, especially for the church, which has not done that much work on this. And so ethicists are kind of sounding the alarm and saying, you know, the Catholic Church, but also other moral and ethical thinkers and leaders need to learn about this stuff and uh, work on telling technology companies and educating technology companies uh, about the importance of respecting the human person as they invent all these machines. And, you know, capital chases whatever sells. And so we're going to see investments in, in technology that, uh, people want to buy, and it doesn't always get invented with, um, you know, the right outcomes for, for people uh, being taken into account. So I set about exploring that whole world, and it was one of the most, maybe the most fascinating reporting projects of my life because it's something that's changing technology, or it's changing the world so much, um, and it's so relevant to, to our lives. And, well, I noticed in your piece you talked about the rise of the Internet and how that sort of caught a lot of ethicists off guard they felt they didn't respond in time for that. 
um, and talked about Silicon Valley not not necessarily being um, cognizant of the ethical dilemmas they were forming. Um, could you say something about how the internet experience sort of uh, urged people to to get further ahead on uh, artificial intelligence? So the um, I mean, the internet was invented by um, uh, scientists who were sort of uh, had practical in, uh, intentions, um, uh, especially with regard to, to working on research and, and the military. Um, I'm sort of stumbling here because um, it's such a broad topic. Um, and, and at the same time, you had the, the incredible increase in computational power um, that was leading to the capacity of offer. I guess what I want to say, the, the internet allowed companies to offer services using AI technology that people quickly discovered were incredibly useful. I mean, an example is Google Maps, which I use, and I'm sure mm-hmm. uh, you, have, you have all used on occasion, um, which allows this one company, Google in uh, California, to collect the whereabouts of a billion people um, and to process it and to show, um, you know, offer suggestions about routes, but also to, um, you know, sell you products and do all kinds of other things that kind of influence your life. Um, and and there, there was no way for ethicists to kind of to predict that because it happened so quickly. The John, one of the other things I found helpful, and you, you made the point earlier about the robots are not taking over, at least not imminently, um, because I have to admit um, that both when, when I hear the term AI ethics just in general, and and also initially when this story was first pitched to us, um, you know, I grew up reading sci-fi and my mind goes to like Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics, right? Or something like this kind of picture of how do we deal with um, with autonomous technology that might be acting completely outside human control. But um, your article makes the point that there are also uh, maybe the more significant, certainly the nearer term, um, AI ethics questions are about things that happens one the things that happen once we're using pattern recognition and these other more narrow artificial intelligence techniques across huge amounts of data so big that no human can accurately predict what's going to come up or what we're going to amplify doing it. And those are I, both um, nearer term ethical questions, but I also think in, in a lot of ways, harder ethical questions than, you know, like how would you want, you know, like a robot walking around to behave? That's right. And, and um, so this, this, this two broad categories for our listeners uh, to understand um, of artificial intelligence. One is artificial general intelligence, which is kind of in the philosophical realm of, what happens if a machine, you know, does become truly autonomous, which as, as Christians poses incredible questions. I mean, we believe that God gives us free will, but what if a machine has free will? What then makes a human special? And that's sort of more of an intellectual set of questions at this point that people do think is worth spending time on. It just doesn't have that many practical consequences for us. The second category, big category, is artificial narrow intelligence, which is what, what you're talking about, which is... Uh, you know, how does the machine decide when to, to sell me a pizza on, on, on Facebook? Or, or, when to, or how does Google decide which route to propose to you to get home in the evening? Which, you know, interacts with people's lives uh, 
every day now. Or how does um, the government decide which people to pull out of line um, at the airport for enhanced scrutiny and screening? That's a great example. And the problem with that is that machines can't make decisions on their own. They make decisions based on data that's fed to them, which is collected by human beings who have their own biases. So, for example, one, one example I talk about in the story is if somebody applies for a loan, uh, the bank then puts that, all their data into an algorithm. Well, you know, if they're African-American or belong to some other minority group, there may be some sort of correlative data that would cause the algorithm to reject them um, because it was collected in a certain way. And, and, and without a person there to kind of make a judgment and to impose a bit sort of human reason, even compassion, um, you end up with uh, a world that's, you know, even harsher and, and colder than, than ours is already. You, you sort of cement injustices as they are instead of um, right, yeah. allowing artificial intelligence to find a better way. Well, I'm remembering a, a recent example, and I think actually this is comes over, uh, this has been going on in New Jersey, which recently worked to eliminate its cash bail system. Right. Yes. I, I think I'm getting this yes. right. Yes. Yeah. One, yeah, of, one right. of several jurisdictions. Right. Well, yes. And and so, which is a, a noble goal, and there are lots of good reasons um, to want to do that um, in order to increase basic equity and justice. But one of the possible replacements for cash bail is running this algorithm that looks at uh, criminal history and other tendencies um, to try to like basically establish a score to say how likely is this person to reoffend? Can we safely let them out without you know, before trial. Which and, is kind of trying to absolve ourselves or, or avoid making decisions and handing it off to artificial intelligence, which right. is a shortcut that, I don't know, it's well, and, not good in the long run. And sometimes we find that based on how we've trained it or how we've designed those algorithms, that, you know, the artificial intelligence there is just as racist as the sum of the people who were involved in making its decisions in the first place. Right. And so at a time when you need to really be as human as possible in making these decisions, we're, we're abs- absenting ourselves from that process in a lot of ways. Yeah. Which is... That's right. There, there, there is a more optimistic uh, take on this. <laughs> no. for, Thank for, you. For, for viewer, for, for Let's hear it. For getting depressed about this. Um, in, in the story, I talk about a company in Pittsburgh called Legal Sifter, which is a, a legal research company which basically uses AI technology to read contracts. And they say that they're, you know, they're not laying people off. I mean, they, it's not like they're hiring hundreds of people, but they have business basically because they have the technology. And so the future is not robots making arguments in a courtroom for lawyers. It's lawyers using technology to do research and to make themselves better lawyers. And I'm, I'm a big uh, chess fan, and I was just following the first game of the World Championship. And obviously, chess is a game which has been dramatically changed by artificial intelligence. But when the two guys are up there uh, playing each other in the championships, there's, there's no computers allowed, and so you still get the pleasure and the kind of the, the you know sort of vis- visceral human contact of people having a, hu- a truly human experience, batting you know battling wits, their human brains, uh, obviously having prepared a lot with AI technology, but ultimately having that human experience. And I think when it comes to things like music or art or chess or literature, it's so important that we hang on to. You know, there's times when you should not have AI in the room. Where you, it should be uh, just the human. How do you feel about auto-tune? <laughs> <laughs> since, since I read your story, these other 
stories have struck me, and, and one of them recently, I saw the story uh, from the BBC about um, this company in Kenya that employs like a thousand people, and they're inputting data for the self-driving cars. They see images, they see what the cars see, and they like identify, they just spend all day uh, tagging pieces of the image that the car sees and kind of building the knowledge for the car. But it, it's, it, I don't know if that struck me as as a form of dignified work because it's your it's almost like you're serving artificial intelligence you're a cog serving them um is so when when people say artificial intelligence will create as many jobs as it destroys do you see uh any kind of problem or issue with the kind of work that people are doing well uh there's a lot to unpack there by the way the story was really nicely edited by by robert and other editors at america so i really appreciate that too guys um, the, the, the Catholic tradition thing, it, it really struck me when Taiwan Kim, the ethicist I, I profile in the story, he brought it up without me saying, oh, I, I write for this Catholic magazine sometimes. He uh, mentioned Catholic social teaching. I think what's very interesting is that, um, you know, I remember like 20 years ago visiting some tech companies who were talking about um, automation and, and uh, the kind of thing we're talking about in this story. And they were saying, oh, it's great, you know, we'll uh, – um, Get rid of all. We'll get rid of all these these human workers using robots, and we'll put everybody on, on universal basic income, which is uh, this sort of utopian idea of giving everybody a bunch of or a, a certain amount of money every year to make sure that everybody had enough, which is a, um, an idea that's well respected actually. But the, the upshot being that people wouldn't have to work basically, and I think what's what's beautiful about what about Catholic social teaching in this regard is that it affirms that it is important to be useful and feel useful. And it's not good enough to sit around all day, even if that can be fun sometimes, that that doesn't fulfill the human person. And Taiwan, the ethicist, talked about his, when his dad retired, how depressed he got because he didn't have work anymore. And I think we can all relate to that. Now, uh, to get to, um, that was Robert, right? Asking yes, the question. yes. Yeah, to get to Robert's question. Um, uh, I mean, I think soul kind of soul-touching job uh serving a higher sort of distant power had been around for a long time. I mean, is this any worse than, I remember going to a mail room in Belgium a long time ago and seeing these workers who, whose job was to input postal codes and they would do like one letter every 10 seconds and every hour they would go and uh, put their wrist in ice water because their whole job was touching in five digit codes. So these letters could get to the right place and reading other people's handwriting um, and processing hundreds of letters every hour. And I, I thought that that's got to be the worst job. The, the, the um, AI Uber driver farm in Kenya sounds really bad, too. Um, and, and this is a different kind of revolution because it's the first revolution that is um, proposing an automation of intellectual tasks. So you've we've had mechanical tasks automated for a long time, and this is the first time that you're going to have um, intellectual tasks being automated in a, in a sort of mass way. And so jobs like a, being an accountant or um, – uh, other white-collar jobs could go by the roadside. Um, that being said, the most common job for American men is as a driver, and so obviously self-driving cars pose a threat to that. Um, so I, I think it's a huge problem, uh, and I think the, the possible huge um, reorientations of how we think about work and how we think about income uh, are, are in store for our society. I mean, people uh, in blue-collar parts of this country, it's well-known, are angry, angry and frustrated at how, how the global economy has treated them. Um, 
and it's not clear what the answer is going to be. And I, I think ethicists and spiritual and religious thinkers and leaders have a, a role to play in this conversation for sure. Well, it's interesting, particularly with as it relates to cars, because uh, I went to a, a session on self-driving cars at this um, sort of ideas festival last summer, the summer before, and I was... Uh, they they freak me out. I I would I don't the idea of being I don't know in Pittsburgh surrounded by self driving cars just weirds me out. Sam Sam is shaking his head because I he, I, I walk he, around Manhattan and he wishes everything and, were more automatic. Well, <laughs> no, it's more I walk around Manhattan and think like what a wonderful day it will be when when private cars are banned from the island of Manhattan <laughs> because there are just a couple self driving taxis taking us all around. Uh, at, at slower speeds and allowing for you know like bikers and pedestrians so to actually use the streets. The, that's totally. There's I think there's like a logical response to this and there's an emotional response to this and because a lot of um, the data says that there would probably be fewer accidents overall if we did all use self-driving cars, um, but they would probably also get way more attention and then get blown out of proportion and then everyone would be totally scared of them more right. so than. Uh, than what happens now because I mean traffic accidents are a huge danger to people right like it's the biggest danger to to children like well, is, and, is and also potential. as as John points out in in his article you know there are a whole class of situations in which we trust humans to reasonably violate otherwise um, applicable rules yes. right so about like you know you know when it is safe to pull a car over to the side of the road even though that's not legally a parking spot you know when you should you know stop and let someone else go in front of you well, and you, know, if you're you might on have a to Jersey speed turnpike. because everybody around you is speeding and it's a danger if Correct. you don't if you're speed. doing the speed limit on the Jersey Turnpike you are the danger it's not it's not the cars around you so like that's where right where if you but if you're not I'm at a car who's like I must go 65 right. that's so my I, robotic car voice so, <laughs> you don't sound very much like Siri <laughs> um, so, but I, but I think what it gets to maybe at, at at a deeper level, the ethical question is, we are we are ready to trust other human beings, even when we know they're not perfect, um, at at different levels than we're ready to trust machines that have been programmed by other human beings. But I feel like that's how it should be. Now, shouldn't we be more trusting of humans than no? Not really. John, what would the yes. ethicist? What say? is the answer to this <laughs> question? Let's get you back in here. Um, the ethicists might say first that, um, you know, we don't uh, set up our society to, to minimize um, harm to ourselves or, or we'd all stay home, that uh, there's still a lot of um, choice in that, about how we want to live. One of the most interesting things I learned reporting the story, which is where kind of capitalism and ethics um, meet, is that one of the biggest reasons we might not see uh, self-driving cars being widespread is that people might not want them, that even if technology is there, it's not clear yet that there's a market for these very expensive machines that you don't get to drive. I mean, people like driving. Um, yeah, it completely back, changes the concept of a road trip movie. Right. Like, so, so I, I think what we're going to see is communities like, say, older people in Arizona who have very easy-to-navigate easy to grid systems where a self-driving car will take them uh, to their doctor from, from their shared living space. So you're like minimizing the decisions the self-driving cars would have to make if it's in like yeah, a simpler situation. That's right. Because, because right now, I mean, we talked about the. And I talked in the story about the trolley problem, which is a famous problem in ethics, where that you have a um, uh, a car headed for a bus of people, 
there's, there's 20 people on the bus, and uh, 20 feet away next to the bus is a baby in a carriage. Uh, does the algorithm in the car, is it programmed to um, hit the bus and kill 20 people or hit the baby and kill the baby? Um, and it sort of stands in for this idea that there aren't any easy answers to any of this, and we can't program machines to make these decisions because we don't know how to make these decisions, really. Right. I mean, it's very, confu- very right. confusing. And you have to program, like, and you also have to program the machine to either, or to generally to preserve the drivers, what they want to do. So that means the machine could also be potentially, con- like, if it's going to hit a wall or hit a, a, a kid, you know, the, the right. car is probably going right. to be, to That's right. algorithmically want to hit the kid because it's less danger to the driver but obviously that's a huge problem ethically for people and 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 a couple of deaths we've had with self-driving cars there was one in arizona this year came about because the 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 technology didn't properly identify what it was looking at i think in arizona it it thought it was uh, going under a bridge and actually it was going under a truck and it hit the truck and killed the driver um and so the technology isn't even especially the, the visual recognition software is not good enough yet to even start, you know, having a choice. Um, See, I think this proves that I'm right, and they're scary, Sam. <laughs> 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 this is, you know, just just. I say. see a lot of horror movies coming out of this scenario. <laughs> I know. I've, fl- I've completely flummoxed him. I've reason, completely so flummoxed I'm, him. I'm He's let that go. Um, John, uh, one other uh, connection to um, the Catholic tradition that you brought out in your article was uh, through the work of a Jesuit thinker, um, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, um, and specifically about um, the tension between looking at technology as something that is um, essentially, you know, opposed to uh, humanity or as something that... uh, you know, augments and extends and deepens humanity. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about, um, you know, how ethicists and how people who are working on AI are using Teilhard to think about um, about what technology means for our humanity. And FYI, we have three minutes. Oh, so, so very yeah. quickly, John. So not, not, you know. Uh, I, I was I was dreading the part where I was going to have to lecture the Jesuit about the other side. Basically, he, he stands in for a school of thought that embraces technology as um, a way of, of, of uniting people uh, and, and of reaching a point even of spiritual bliss, uh, which I, I guess if you look at the, the, the way that the, the founder of the Internet, or one of the guys considered the founder, Tim Berners-Lee, had a similar vision of the Internet basically uniting all of humanity in a kind of giant, you know, kumbaya singing circle, um, and that, you know, we could reach a point of real appreciation and love uh, through communicating with better technology. Um, and so it's sort of a utopian view of technology, and that was the direction that um, a lot of his writing went in. Although one of the things I, I don't know, in what I do know about Teilhard, um, one of the things that I, I take as a challenge um, from his thinking is, you know, insofar as um, the genie's not going back in the bottle, and the, the, the advance of technology is, you know, at least under capitalist motivations, is kind of inevitable. Um, the, the question this poses to the rest of us is how then are we going to humanize it, right? How are we going to make it serve true human goods and human goals while it's advancing? And how are we going to uh, that's right. shape yeah, its advance? That's, that's right. And the, um, the, the, the last line of the story belongs to a, 
a Dominican sister at Villanova who is a, a disciple of Tayar, um, and she points out that uh, we always have a choice in how we apply any of this technology, whether it's um, how we use Facebook or how the uh, government of New Jersey designs its, its bail program, that human beings um, always have the choice of uh, applying you know, more reason and more of a human touch to, to how it's used. Yeah. We have a choice if we choose to use it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with us today, John. We really appreciate it. For more on this topic, you can read the full article at americamagazine.org slash serious. What are the dangers of artificial intelligence in our brave new world of self-driving cars? You'll talk to me or Sam for different answers on that. <laughs> but thanks, thanks very guys. much, John. Uh, so for more, you can go to our website, americamagazine.org. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, etc. And to subscribe, please call 1-800-627-953. Three uh, for Sam Sawyer and Robert David Sullivan and myself. We hope you have a very wonderful Thanksgiving and we'll see you next week. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.